In this episode of Death and Numbers, we explore what it takes to make a dystopia. I'm Caroline Barda. And I'm Amy Viter. Do you begin to see, then, what kind of world we are creating? It is the exact opposite of the stupid, hedonistic utopias that the old reformers imagined. We have cut the links between child and parent, and between man and man, and between man and woman. No one dares trust a wife or a child or a friend any longer. But in the future, there will be no wives and no friends. Written during World War II and the Cold War, British author George Orwell's novel, 1984, is a classic, found on numerous bestseller lists around the world. The novel reflects modern concerns, preoccupations with government control, surveillance, and freedom of speech and thought. The Ministry of Truth, the governing body within the novel, enforces the ideology that war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. Orwell believed that language can corrupt thought. And so he constructed the Ministry of Truth to be a force that controlled through the language Newspeak. By restricting individual expression, the fictional government indoctrinates their people. Following President Trump's inauguration, Signet Classics reported sales of 1984 had increased 9,500%. The publisher printed 200,000 additional copies to meet the demand. While it is only possible to speculate about why people's interest in the novel peaked after the inauguration, there are some parallels between the current administration and the Ministry of Truth. During an unofficial White House press briefing, Press Secretary Sean Spicer attacked media outlets that he claimed falsely represented the attendance figures for the 45th presidential inauguration. Despite statistical evidence, such as the number of writers on the Washington, D.C. metro system, proving fewer people had turned out than in past ceremonies. In an infamous interview on January 22, 2017, Kellyanne Conway, President Trump's campaign manager and current advisor, said that Spicer had offered alternative facts. Conway's alternative facts reminded those familiar with 1984 of the double-think policy of the Ministry of Truth, Double-think, which means the power of holding two contradictory beliefs in one's mind simultaneously and accepting both of them, is a concept designed to ensure no one questions the ministry, should they realize a contradiction exists. While Spicer may not be accused of trying to brainwash American citizens, like the Ministry of Truth, a presidential administration portraying fact as subjective is certainly disconcerting. 1984 isn't the only book people are revisiting. In fact, other dystopian novels such as Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury, Brave New World by Algis Huxley, and It Can't Happen Here by Sinclair Lewis were on Amazon's bestseller lists in spring 2017. Unlike utopian novels, which feature an imagined place or state of things in which everything is perfect, dystopian novels create an imaginary place or condition in which everything is as bad as possible. Although the term utopia has been around since 1516, and a concept that really spans back to ancient Greece, the term dystopia was coined in 1952. Dystopian authors are often inspired by contemporary politics. For Orwell, it was Hitler's Nazi Germany and Stalin's Soviet Union in the 1940s. For Canadian Margaret Atwood, it was the Iron Curtain only 40 years later. Reflecting on the inspiration for her 1985 novel, The Handmaid's Tale, Atwood wrote, 
I was living in West Berlin, which was still encircled by the Berlin Wall. The Soviet Empire was still strongly in place and was not to crumble for another five years. Every Sunday, the East German Air Force made sonic booms to remind us of how close they were. During my visits to several countries behind the Iron Curtain, Czechoslovakia, East Germany, I experienced the wariness, the feeling of being spied on, the silences, the changes of subject, the oblique ways in which people might convey information, and these had an influence on what I was writing. So did the repurposed buildings. This used to belong to, but then they disappeared. I heard such stories many times. I knew that established orders could vanish overnight. Change could also be as fast as lightning. It can't happen here could not be depended on. Anything could happen anywhere, given the circumstances. For the first time since perhaps the Cold War, the sentiment that anything could happen anywhere, given the circumstances, is a concern for the United States. But what exactly would those circumstances have to be? That is exactly the question David Frum asks in the March 2017 cover article of The Atlantic magazine. Frum, a former speechwriter for President George W. Bush and conservative policy specialist, details how to build an autocracy, step by step. The article begins. It's 2021, and President Donald Trump will shortly be sworn in for his second term. The 45th president has visibly aged over the past four years. He rests heavily on his daughter Ivanka's arm during his infrequent public appearances. Set four years from now, after the 2020 presidential election, Frum develops a dystopian United States of America. Exploiting the fears of many Trump critics, he explores how policies such as big tax cuts, big spending, and big deficits have affected society. But more importantly, he demonstrates how simple it would be to achieve a modern state that protects the power of the guilty, primarily because it's hard work to ascertain what is true. Not all dystopias have a moral as straightforward as fighting for the truth, but they do invite readers to participate in a what-if dialogue. What if there was a nuclear war and we survived? What if our government became a dictatorship? What if we could no longer reproduce? Asking these questions can be uncomfortable, as they reveal our personal insecurities— not only do we have to face the what if, but we have to consider, what would I do in that scenario? What would my responsibility be in the outcome? When authors answer these questions in their dystopian novels, they are often seeking to disrupt or dissent from the status quo. For some authors, this involves a risky call to action, an agitation of the masses. As David Frum wants to convince readers, What happens next is up to you and me. Don't be afraid. This moment of danger can also be your finest hour as a citizen and an American. This has been Death and Numbers, a podcast created and produced by the Humanities Media Project in the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin and Liberal Arts Instructional Technology Services. We are Amy Viter and Caroline Barda. Notes for the show, including links and photos, can be found on our website, humanitiesmediaproject.org. Our theme music is Enthusiast by Tours. Thank you for listening.